The Water Values Podcast, Session 147. Welcome to the Water Values Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to water utilities, resources, treatment, reuse, and all things water. Now here's your host, Dave McGimsey. Hello and welcome to another session of the Water Values Podcast. As my daughter Sarah said, my name is Dave McGimsey and thanks so much for joining me. We have a great show for you today. It is a long show. It's full, so I'm going to be real quick about the intro. Uh, Our featured guest is Cindy Wallace-Lage, president of Black & Veatch's Global Water Business, and she's going to do a fantastic job talking about digital water. We also have Aaron Bonnie Casey the research director for Bluefield Research, who's going to give our Bluefield on Tap segment, talk about uh, water infrastructure investment by the U.S. government. Uh, Before we get to those, uh, the Bluefield on Tap and our feature interview with Cindy, we do have a little bit of housekeeping. I normally uh, do this right at the top of the show, so here we go. I want to thank you all for the great ratings and reviews on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other uh, platforms. Uh, we have one new review that was posted since the last time, and Alejandro T gives us a five-star rating and says, very informative on all things water, great host and selection of participants that do a tremendous job of communicating the state of the water industry, as well as the future of water while covering the entire spectrum of participants in water space. That was Alejandro T's rating and review on Stitcher. So thank you very much, Alejandro T. Really appreciate it. We also picked up a couple of five-star ratings on Apple Podcasts since the last time. Uh, if you've been enjoying the podcast, please consider going on and leaving a rating or rev- and a review on Apple Podcasts on Stitcher, TuneIn, whatever platform you listen to the show on. It'd be greatly appreciated. Here is Aaron Bonnie Casey with the Bluefield on Tap segment. Well, Aaron Bonnie Casey of Bluefield Research, welcome to the Water Values Podcast. How are you doing? I'm great. Thanks, Dave, for having me on today. You bet. Uh, this is the first Bluefield on Tap segment that we've had with you. Could you uh, fill us in a little about your background, who you are, kind of how you ended up at Bluefield Research? Sure. So I'm Bluefield's research director. I head up our U.S. and Canada municipal service. So basically I have my hands in all of the research that we're doing um, on municipal water and wastewater in North America. Um, My background, I actually started at Bluefield about six years ago now, um, and I came straight out of uh, a master's program um, that focused on water management interdisciplinary uh, that focus on interdisciplinary water management. So, <clears throat> you know, this is really my passion, and I'm excited to be here today. Awesome, awesome, and uh, it's perfect that you're on because I think we're going to talk about some of the research that Bluefield has done in the water infrastructure space. So, I, I know you just issued uh, some press on this. So, you, can you kind of uh, let us know what's going on uh, regarding Bluefield's research into into water infrastructure spending? Yeah, so, um, you know, I think it's kind of common knowledge in the industry that the um, infrastructure in the U.S. is underfunded in general, and water in, wastewater infrastructure in particular has been underfunded for a long time. And so we were interested in Bluefield is looking at the sources of um, government funding and federal funding that offer utilities kind of one option to meet those funding gaps and um, – continue the investment in maintaining and improving our infrastructure. So 
we just put out uh, some research that tracked, that looked at the 2018 numbers around um, what federal and state governments were putting out to support uh, water infrastructure development. And so um, the, the programs we looked at were the Clean Water and Drinking Water State Revolving Fund programs, um, the new WIFIA program uh, coming out at the federal level, uh, as well as some programs from the USDA uh, Water and Waste Disposal Loan and Grant Program that focuses on helping rural communities uh, maintain and expand their infrastructure, and then also some limited U.S. Bureau of Reclamation programs that are really targeted to the issues facing the Western United States. Sure, and and so what uh, what are the salient points about the research that you did? You know, that in, in kind of digging into the numbers. Yeah, I mean, I think you know overall. So across those programs in 2018, there was a little over 25 billion dollars made available uh, for water and wastewater infrastructure backed by government. Most of that looks like low interest loans. Um, some of it is also grants, especially for um, particularly vulnerable communities. Um, so, you know, that's a, it's, it's a minority of the, of the total CapEx spend, but it's an important piece of the market because it really provides um, a critical piece of support for that infrastructure investment. Um, and then the other thing that we were interested in, in, uh, in addition to that total number at $25 billion, was what are the trends over time in terms of government support for water infrastructure. And what we've really found is that um, this, these available funds are in incredibly stable over time and um, kind of indifferent to uh, political changes in Washington. There's a a distinct understanding that we need to continue to invest in our water and wastewater infrastructure. And these programs provide kind of a critical underpinning um, to get dollars into that space. Sure. And, and so I guess I'm curious when uh, it, it looks like you've kind of placed 2018 in, in the the time continuum here and said, Hey, it's, it's, it's consistent with what we've seen in the past. Do you see that trending uh, upwards, given the infrastructure needs, and what I mean by is, let's say we got twenty five billion in twenty eighteen. Are we going to hit thirty billion in twenty nineteen? Or I mean, are there any? Have you been able to identify any trends in in government support for water infrastructure? Yeah, well, one one really important piece is this the WIFIA program, which there's a lot of discussion about. That's only in its second year of actually uh, distributing funds, and um, so that provides a, a pretty substantial bump over the past couple of years. Um, the the bulk of the money from the government uh, going to water and wastewater infrastructure is coming from state revolving funds, both clean water and drinking water. And that money stays um, fairly consistent over time. Um, it receives, you know, <clears throat> essentially the same amount of money uh, every budget cycle um, and also the nature of those uh, revolving funds is that, you know, they are largely funded by loan repayments uh, from historical loans. Uh, so they, you know, there's a cyclical nature there where they're a little bit um, insulated from um, political winds that might impact other budget uh, sources and decisions. So I think we see 
overall, we see the funding increasing slightly, um, but not dramatically. But I think uh, what's more important is how stable this funding seems to be. Even when uh, the EPA uh, is facing budget cuts, these programs in particular are kind of isolated uh, from those cuts. Sure, sure. And what about the market participants that are taking advantage of these funds? Are they are they engaging in any creative financing mechanisms to kind of you know leverage those dollars more, or what's what's the state of that side of the the equation? Yeah, it's interesting. So because the state revolving funds are administered on a state level, um, they vary um, from state to state. And in terms of um, you know one. One way in which they um, differentiate themselves is in uh, participation at a state by state level. So some states are really good about reaching out to utilities and um, streamlining the application process uh, and encouraging facilities to evaluate their needs uh, in re in respect to what might be eligible for state revolving fund loans. Other states um, are undersubscribed and they're not. <clears throat> Uh, those states, the they don't ha even have enough applications to take full advantage of the dollars available. So there's definite um, differentiation between the states in that way. Um, the other interesting thing that we're seeing is uh, vendors increasingly are seeing that uh, a way to get their equipment and services into the market is to help their clients tap into these sources of funding. Um, and so they're leveraging their expertise from previous projects that have utilized this funding um, to help their future clients, you know, uh, capture those dollars, those low interest dollars, help them get their equipment um, into the market. Awesome. Well, Aaron, Bonnie, Casey, we really appreciate you coming on and uh, giving us kind of the thumbnail of, of this water infrastructure funding research that Bluefield has done. So thank you very much. Terrific stuff. I uh, really appreciate you coming on again and uh, look forward to talking with you in the future. Yeah, great. Thanks so much. Bluefield Research does such a great job with the Bluefield on Tap segments. We're really happy to have them on. And Aaron, Bonnie, Casey, you did a terrific job letting us know about U.S. government support for water infrastructure. Thanks so much. How apropos with uh, Infrastructure Week coming up here. Uh, let's turn to our feature interview. We have Cindy Wallace-Lage, president of Black & Veatch's Global Water Business, who's going to speak with us about digital water, the, the solutions, how all market participants in the water sector, uh, not just utilities, can benefit from digital water. Uh, she also has some practical advice on implementation and some concrete examples on utilities that implemented smart uh, digital water solutions and saw immediate returns on that investment in those digital water platforms. So without further ado, let's get right on to this feature interview with Cindy. Open the valves, fasten your seatbelts, and here we go. Well, Cindy, welcome to the Water Values Podcast again. Glad to have you back on. How are you? I'm great. I'm excited to be here and have a conversation with you today. Uh, terrific. Well, uh, the last couple times you've been on, it has been as part of a panel, and so we haven't been able to kind of ask you what your background is and how you got interested in water. So uh, could you please uh, help us out and, and, and fill us in a little on your, your expertise and background? Yeah, that'd be great. Um, I started in the water industry Gosh, 32 years ago, right out of school, I got a degree in civil engineering from Kansas State University and really determined that I wanted to be in the water space. Um, part of that being driven by a, a very influential grandfather who is a science teacher who spent a lot of time 
with me out on hikes and talking about the environment and the importance of taking care of the environment, and that led me to want to have an environmental flavor to my civil engineering degree. I had the opportunity to then start with Black and & Beach, and I started actually in our Arizona office versus in Kansas City, which most people think I would have came straight to Kansas City since I was going to school just down the road. <laughs> and I started in Arizona, and what I found in my time there is we had the opportunity to do a lot of groundbreaking things in the subject of reuse, which I really hadn't known much about but was fascinated uh, by what we could be doing with such a treasure, which is actually wastewater, to be able to reuse it and continue to replenish our systems much more efficiently and effectively than if we just have a, have a discharge um, to a water, uh, water body. So with that interest, I then ended up saying that I would uh, get my master's in environmental health engineering and do a lot more with reuse and then also with nutrient reduction, which was also really of great interest to me. And so I ended up getting my master's from Kansas University, so I've gotten both major universities in Kansas, um, and then came back to work with Blackton Beach, and I did it in our technology group. So then I was really at the front end of designs and working with our clients to come up with their technical solutions. And that was really a fascinating time for me. I spent about 20 years doing technical um, work and, and developing those solutions and had the opportunity to take that across the United States. And then as, as we were growing, being able to do that in many faraway places, within the UK, within Australia, within Singapore, um, and doing a lot to see how we could continue to grow the technical expertise and solution development within in, within this space. And so I ended up being essentially our chief technology officer before I then became the president of our water business. So it's been a fantastic career, uh, always something to do, always something to learn and share, and and the, the topic of digital water just keeps it going. <laughs> That's right. Digital water is a, it's a, it's a buzzword. Um, and, and so can you, from your perspective, from this technological perspective, I'd be very interested to hear what, what your thoughts are on kind of the basics of digital water, what it is, you know. Yeah. You know, to me, digital water is giving us the opportunity to really bring together all of the things that we know and have it in a place where it is connected and cohesively working together to give us real-time information so that we can make much more efficient and effective decisions. We, we collect a lot of data um, and we, we catalog it, but we don't always connect it. And when you think about the opportunities that we have if we were to connect those disparate and siloed data sets, and bring them together such that they, we can see the connectivity. Sometimes connectivities we might not even see or understand, but when we see history, we can see how we've had influencers into performance, whether it's um, when we would need to do maintenance, whether it's the fact that um, we're being able to be predictable in the performance that we want to have. Um, it's to drive greater efficiency in our operations, whether that is with energy, whether it's chemical, whether it's labor. Um, and, it, and it also then provides us an opportunity to communicate much more holistically with all of the consumers of water, right? So that they can actually have a transparency of seeing how their actions 
are maybe influencing decisions that we need to make within the water space, whether that's for a utility, um, whether it is whether <clears throat> we need to be making increasing our rates, uh, whether it is understanding why there is a major disruption in the street because they're having to do maintenance and replace up pipes. You know, it helps us in that communication such that when we have all of the data together that we can visualize, that we can share with others to educate um, both within our space as well as outside of our space, then it helps when we're trying to identify what levels of investment we need to make. We know America's infrastructure needs significant investment, but how do we help people quantify and qualify what that is? It helps us prioritize then when we need to make capital improvements um, and, and then justify that to our rate base and to all of those that are going to be impacted by that. And then it also has probably a, another piece to it that people don't always think about, and that is it's building, helping us understand how we need to build resilience into our systems. So we have a lot of change that's happening, whether it's population growth, um, with the, the increased uh, uses of water, but we also have conservation that's happening in other places. We have too much water in some places. We have too little uh, in others. And so when we're trying to be holistic and be resilient to all of these different variables, having sufficient insight as to the quality and the performance of our assets helps us have that strategic resilience, financial resilience, and operational resilience to make sure that we're doing the right things at the right time to make sure that we're going to have a system that meets the needs of all of the end users. So it's probably, it's very long-winded and broad, but I think its play is just so significant, but there's so many challenges to probably get to that point, but I think that's why it's worth the journey. Yeah, and, and you you mentioned a lot of things that have to do with the actual with with utility service. You know, you mentioned a pipe underground, uh, things of that nature. Are what about the other market segments? You know, is, does industrial water do they benefit from digital water? What about the ag sector or food and beverage? You know, are, can you talk about some of the the market segments and w what digital water means to those other market segments? I think anybody who utilizes water and has the opportunity to understand greater, um, uh, well, to have a greater understanding of the assets they have and how they're performing and how they can improve and when they need to invest. That's in the utility space, that's in the industrial space. It is allowing them to be able to be more predictive, but it's also allowing them to be able to utilize less water, which many industries are focused on, right? They're looking at how do we reduce our water consumption? How do we drive greater efficiency in our treatment systems that we have such that uh, the quality water that we do discharge is better than maybe what it used to be? And so how you're being able to monitor and understand how those assets are performing. It doesn't matter whether it's a utility or if it's an industrial space. I think it is equally important because for industrial space, it also is gonna come down to saving money, right? So understanding what they can do to minimize the amount of water that they're utilizing to have higher water quality that they're discharging, that helps save money. 
But then you also have the benefit of most of them looking at how they are communicating with their customer base from a sustainability standpoint. And that's again going to allow you to have greater transparency when you're using a digital water concept to be able to visualize to people the improvements that they've made and the benefits it's making to the environment by the choices that they have made and the decisions that they are implementing and how they deal with their assets. That's a, that's a great, great way to look at things. Uh, focusing more on the utility now, uh, you mentioned network issues, kind of the pipe under the street. You mentioned the customer interface. Uh, can you talk about digital water in the various spaces that utilities uh, use? So, you know, network, inside the fence, and customer interface. And if there are any others, go ahead and identify. Yeah. So, you know, I think one of the things that you, you do look at from – let's just start with the customer interface. I think in in today's world, you know, we – use data in everything we do. I mean, most people would leave behind everything they have and keep their cell phone because that is the one connection point. And all of the information they need to make their lives the way they want them to be is through data that's coming at them with their phone. So we're used to as, I think, a society of getting instantaneous information. We haven't had that instantaneous information as readily available to us when we talk about the interface with water. And yet it's such a critical resource and it has such a huge impact on our lives, our quality of life, it's on economic development for our community, the devastation that can happen when we have too much water or too little water if we don't have the right infrastructure in place to be able to manage that. And so I see it as an opportunity, utilities are saying, look, I need you my customers to understand, one, why I have to make the investments I do to give you the quality of life that you currently have and to sustain it as opposed to have you having to make different choices. But part of that is I do need you on my journey, right? I need you to also be making different choices at times. And so you can see, especially in places where there is significant drought or at least water scarcity challenges, bringing the customer on board so that they understand their usage and the impact that they're making and how maybe comparing what they're using versus their neighbors, peer pressure is a wonderful thing. (laughs) (laughs) And saying, okay, you know, out of my several block neighborhood, why are my numbers so much higher than everybody else's numbers? And I'm using a lot more water. And is that because I chose to have a really um, water-intensive yard, or is it that I have leakage somewhere? Do I need to find that? Um, Do I have too many teenagers taking long showers and I need to retrain them? You know, there's (laughs) a lot of things that you can be looking at to say, okay, join me on my journey to be a more responsible and sustainable utility providing you the quality of life that you want for you and your future generations but you got to help me by making some different choices also. And part of that, I think people are willing to make those um, choices, but they have to understand what it is they need to do differently and the why. And so digital water helps the utility interface with that customer and give them information. So whether it's pushing out information on their water usage and warning them say, hey, you, know, you have an anomaly day, maybe you should look at whether somebody left a faucet on somewhere or maybe that you've got toilets that are running consistently and, and you need to, to fix those toilets. 
or um, gosh, you know, you're just you're watering an extensive amount this month. Is that normal? Is that going to be sustained? What's what's happening? So how do we have that interface? But then internally, what I see is the opportunity um, to really then be more predictive for the utility of when they need to invest in their infrastructure um, and, and doing it in a real-time basis. So we talk about you know, the networks and, and we look at pipes that are bursting and the challenges that have it has a huge impact to you know, society because it messes with your transportation. It can take water service away from you for an extended period of time. We can have a quality of that water be a challenge for a while until we get everything back in place. And that's very, very disruptive. But yet, when we, when we know that I have enough information to really understand, one, how that asset's performing, the quality of that asset. It, we know how it's supposed to perform. Is it performing along those lines? Does it need some change to the way we're operating to maybe, maybe get greater life out of that asset so we can look at pressure management and how that might help in our, in our networks? and maybe we'll extend the life uh, of those pipes. But then it's also telling us, okay, we need to invest in this point right now because we are getting close to the end of that asset's life based on the way it's performing, not based on just how long it's been in service. Sometimes our oldest pipes are still working well, and it can be pipes that are maybe just 20 years old versus 50 years old that are actually the problem, right? So right. if we take an, a, an approach that's just on the oldest pipes, we may replace the pipe that's working and miss the pipe that's actually got a problem. And so as we get better analytics, um, sensors, that we have greater instrumentation that's helping us, as we have the data to be able to visualize it and, and see then how that asset's really operating. I think of it as understanding the health of that infrastructure real time and its performance, its effectiveness and its remaining life, such that we can decide when we need to invest into it and make sure that one, that's a much, much cheaper way. When it is a, an emergency, it always costs so much more. So how do we, if we're controlled and we're predictive in that maintenance or in its replacement, it's done in a much more cost-effective manner and it's much, much less disruptive to those that are impacted by whatever it is that needs to be replaced or needs to have maintenance done to it. So that really helps us as we look at outside the fence line. Inside the fence line, similar, you know, what we're trying to see is how do we drive greater operational efficiency um, such that we can reduce the amount of chemicals and energy. How do we automate as much as possible? How do we become more predictive, so how do we interact with other sensor points such that we understand the impacts of weather, um, we understand seasonal impacts, we understand even weekly and part of the day uh, impacts because we see when people are using the most water when there's the least amount of water, so we can define, define when we're going to be producing the most and how we need to um, manage storage. It's understanding what's going to happen seasonally because of weather impacts, such that we're planning for that. So that all comes into play, again, to make sure we're resilient in our operations and we're resilient in our finances, such that we're giving quality, but we're also managing our, our overall cost. And then when you 
also then take all of that together, it helps for many utilities to deal with really the, the challenges that we can have with workforce, right? Mm -hmm. And optimizing the workforce needs because one of the challenges many utilities are facing is having um, a, enough of a workforce population to get the work done that they need to do. So as they are seeking to manage through some of that workforce deficit, how they can do more automation, uh, be more predictable such that they're using their workforce in a very effective manner versus they're out doing things on at one location and then they got to flip to the other side of the town because it's an emergency. So they become very reactive. How we can help them be very proactive means that they can be utilizing their time much more effectively and maybe not have to have the same level of workforce. Yeah, I, I, there are so many things in there that, that you've uh, identified. I, I love the uh, the switch from the reactive or the pivot from the reactive to the proactive approach, the, the hu human capital versus the infrastructure. And when you were talking about the network, it just, you know, a, a light was going off in my head because uh, I, I was just speaking with a client who was complaining about a set of relatively young pipes that he was having a lot of problems with. It wasn't the older pipes that he was having the problems with. It was these young, you know, these relatively young pipes. And, and so that was just going off in my head uh, when you were, we were talking about the benefits of, of, of digital water in the network. Um, one thing I think is interesting, you indicated that, you know, you, you, you made the analogy, Hey, all of us, our phone is the first thing we're going to grab if it's the last, if it's the, if we can only take one yeah. thing. So why are, why are utilities relatively slow on the uptake? If, if we all as individuals recognize the importance of technology, why don't utilities, um, why haven't more utilities, I guess I should say, uh, embrace digital water? I mean, where are we on the uptake on the te technology adoption curve? You know, that's a, uh a really interesting question because it's complex. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I say that because I think there is truly a genuine push by utilities of, of wanting to take on digital water and, and really find a way for them to operate more efficiently and communicate better and, and optimize their, their overall performance and, and operational elements of their assets and planning for what they want to do. So they're doing all of that. The, the challenge really, I think, comes into right now there's just a lot of different ways to go about doing that. <clears throat> and you really need a, um, uh, a data plan, and it's not your phone plan. It's your, <laughs> how are you going to bring your data together plan? Because until you figure out how that's going to work and find yourself a platform that you can do that on that then lets you actually do the data analytics and that then lets you bring in artificial intelligence, which then lets you drive greater connectivity and, I think, synergy in your decision-making, it, it's very hard because you're operating in silos. And so I think that it's also a little bit of a a difficult transition and to see how do I do that and have confidence that it's going to tell me what I, I need to do and that I don't then miss something. So that change element, because I have tremendous respect for the utilities around the United States who really make a very personal commitment to protecting the environment and protecting human health. And when you have that big of a mantra that you're doing that 
changing is hard because you don't want to take risks that you would ever have an issue with environmental quality and quality that would impact the environment or impact human health. And so there's a slowness probably um, and a cautiousness to, to taking on this digital space. And then it's understanding probably a little bit overwhelming of do I want to take on the whole elephant <laughs> and try to get my entire utility? And what is that platform? And what if it's the wrong platform? And how do I choose that platform? And how do I procure that platform? And then how do I maintain it? And do I do it? Do I outsource it? Is it in the cloud? Do I have servers? You know, what, what resources do I need to have to manage this? I mean, it is, it, it sounds like, gosh, we do it everywhere else, and I understand that, but bringing it into the water space and the utilities and seeing how we can really effectively bring that together is a big shift. And so some utilities are looking at it and saying, okay, I'm going to try it in bite sizes, right? I'm going to just try the leg of the elephant first before I take the whole elephant and see how do I make that work and then how I can extrapolate that and build on it, and I can maybe procure that more readily than when I am, you know, than versus trying to put my whole system on something and causing potential risk or confusion or something that gets missed or we're connecting the wrong piece of information. And so how do I build that up? <clears throat> and others are saying, no, I just, I just need to go, but I got to still figure out how do I, how do I buy this system? And, and one of the areas that I think that we see as a, as a good avenue to try and help move and integrate digital water into utilities is through asset management because we are seeing the utilities in the U.S. really looking at um, really giving a higher priority to asset management to understand truly their assets that they have. Do I really know all the assets that I have? Do I really know the condition they're in? Do I know that, that they're performing the way they should and what I should do to improve performance? Or do I know when I need to replace them? And so when you look at that piece of it and then you say, okay, but digital water helps you really advance asset management to a whole new level and being able to schedule and prioritize maintenance to understand more real time the performance of those assets, the uh, probably the, the quality of those assets. Then there's a way to tie it in that I think it's easier for the utility to grasp how do I buy this and bring this into my system because I already know I'm really focused on doing a better job with my assets. So that tends to not have as scary of a sound, I think, as I say I'm going to have an advanced asset management versus I'm going to go digital water and everybody's like, what does that mean? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> how do I sell that? Right. My board, and how do I sell that to my customers? And how do I, you know, how do I show that I'm going to get the return on that? And the return is actually, um, I think, very impressive. If, if you think about those that are stepping up and, and taking that on, they they are getting um, a pretty good return on their investments, and are very happy with the journey that they've made. Yeah, I, I think that is a that's a great point, and I would I would love to see a study or something that comes out that that identifies how how that return is measured and uh, things of that nature. Just because 
once once utilities who have, have not adopted get a hold of that report or, or what have you, they they might say, well, yeah. it's it's worth it. Well, you know, so let me give you a couple of examples. One is in the U.S. and one is in the U.K. And I'm referencing the U.K. from the standpoint that they have had a, a major focus on reducing their operational costs. Most of the utilities there are, are private, uh, and they are looking at a, a driver to reduce operational costs as well as dealing with uh, water leakage has been a big issue for them. So uh, talking about the UK first, we have a, a project that we have been doing that's called dynamic maintenance planning. And this is really a, a fascinating concept that we're, we're looking at trying to help our, our client base understand when they need to make investments, right? So it's having good asset information, it's improving the, the data capture, the organization of that management is bringing in lean, reliability-centered maintenance methodologies, so RCM. And then it's creating this dynamic, proactive um, maintenance planning. And so essentially it's going and saying, do you know all the assets you have? It's being able to digitize that. It's being able to understand the, the quality of those assets. and then being able to identify the maintenance that's needed in those assets. So for our client, uh, Yorkshire Water, by going through and really digitizing all of their assets, one, that a 20% increase in the number of known assets, which knowing you have the asset is the first step, <laughs> like your journey, right, of I accept I have more assets. Um, and then what really helped them and helped save costs was they were then be able, were able to reduce their reactive maintenance tasks. So we talked earlier about going from reactive to proactive. They had a 31% reduction in their reactive maintenance tasks such that they knew exactly were planning what they were doing and planning their day and their efforts. And in three months of utilizing this, they saved 47,000 pounds in just their overall operations, right, on their wow. maintenance planning. So. Wow, that's impressive. That's a, that's a pretty big deal in three months, um, I was just going to say, um, which is about 60000 so in U.S. dollars. So it was definitely allowing them to do things more on a, a criticality and risk base so that they're understanding when they need to do it and doing it in a proactive manner than a reactive manner. So that's just one element of a, a solution that we have created as part of our digital water. Uh, offering. And then another one is coming back to the U.S., and it's actually close to me here in Kansas City, and that's with the city of Lawrence. And they really wanted to be at the forefront of technology and monitor all of their plants from a central location and then be able to analyze that information and make greater real-time decisions on how they want to operate with respect to their biological systems. They have a wet weather system. They needed it to be more efficient. They wanted to have centralized monitoring and diagnostics such that they could really see what was happening at multiple plants and be able to make decisions that were more holistic for their system. And as a result, they've been able to reduce their operating costs by about 150000 a year just by being able to bring that data together. And they continue to add in additional analysis and, and how they're operating and what they can see, how they can change and get a little bit closer, not to the edge of saying I'm going to have risk in my water quality, but to the edge of performance and understanding I don't have to have 
such a huge safety factor that I'm going to put the aeration on and I'm just going to run at a certain level of my blower output as opposed to I'm going to get down and say I know how much residual DO I need in my biological system. I'm going to operate to that point because I understand the variances are going to happen with weather, the seasons, the impacts of temperature. I'm going to be able to understand um, really some of the, the things that happen in my community, whether it's the university has a big game day, what's that going to do and how do I need to be proactive in planning for it versus, oh, it's, it's uh, spring break and I've lost a significant amount of the population on vacation, so how do I want to adjust? So there's a lot of things that can come into play there by able to pull all of that data together and drive them to be more efficient. So those are just two examples. Yeah, that's that's that is those are terrific examples, and and it sounded to me like the the Lawrence and Yorkshire Water they had very targeted goals. So is is it kind of going back to the in terms of implementation? Is it is the best way to approach implementation? Kind of eating the eating the elephant one bite at a time. You know you. You go in with with a, a small set of goals and and attack those, and then expand once you get comfortable with digital water. Yeah, I think that's true. And you know, for a lot of people, they're also looking at their non-revenue water, right? So you're seeing a bigger and bigger push to metering. So as we look at the ability to understand exactly the uses of water in the systems and being able to close that loop with how much we're producing. We can see where we have leakage. Um, sometimes we have leakage that's really about water, that we're losing water and we need to fix that. And sometimes we have leakages just that we didn't have the right data and so we were losing revenue water because we weren't actually correctly monitoring and measuring what was being used by the end users. And so I always think of leakage as two things. I've had leaking data and I've had leaking water. Um, <laughs> Both of them need to be fixed, right? Right. And that allows, you know, so you do see that improvement. And as you have that, those sensors and the metering in place to be able to understand uh, whether we're having leaking data and fix that. And then when we still have leaking water, okay, how are we going to take on systematically and fix that? And what are those fixes? And digital water becomes a big piece of that insight and then allowing you to make sure that you're putting the right plans in place that are going to help you address those issues. Yeah, I think that's that's right on. So, Cindy, you've been absolutely great today. I, I think we could talk about this stuff for hours. Um, uh, it, what what is the leave behind message you want to you want to leave, leave listeners with? My message to say is just remember what the opportunity is here. It, it can be it's a journey, and we all have a long ways to go on it. But to embrace it because the opportunity is so big for us to really gain the insights that allow us to drive that operational efficiency, the performance predictability, the maintenance planning, the optimizing our workforce, and truly then connecting uh, the utilities with the customer such that we're working together. Because it's when we educate everyone and we all raise up in our knowledge that we're gonna be able to protect this most precious resource that we have we don't have an alternative to it, so the things that we can do to make sure we're using every drop to its fullest extent and protecting those drops also, I think that's what we all need to focus on, and utilities can lead the way with a digital water strategy. 
terrific. Well, thank you again for your time. You were absolutely fabulous. Uh, where can folks go to find out more about you and about Black and Veatch? Uh, so for Black and Veatch, uh, we are at bv.com. Uh, and we are on LinkedIn and Twitter and Facebook and anywhere else. I think on social platforms. Um, we are also at many of the industry events. So we'll be at AWWA coming up uh, in Denver, and then we'll be at WefTech in Chicago. But many other utility or many other industry association meetings that we're a part of those. And then we also have a uh, our. Uh, software company that we have spun out, which is called Atonix, and so that's at Atonix, A-T-O-N-I-X dot com, which can also give you some insight as to what we're doing in our digital platform. Awesome. Well, again, thank you, Cindy. Uh, really appreciate it, and we'll talk to you soon. Great. Thank you. Have a great day. Thanks. You too. Bye. Well, hope you enjoyed that interview with Cindy Wallace-Lage. I thought she was fantastic, um, you know, sharing her knowledge uh, on digital water solutions and what those can, what those look like, how to implement them, what the returns might be. So it was just great having having her on to share her, you know, on the ground practical insights of the power of digital water. I'd love to hear what you found interesting about the interview. You can uh, check out the show notes for this session at thewatervalues.com forward slash pod 147. Leave a comment on those show notes or email me at David at the water values. You can also tweet at me. My handle is at DTM one nine nine three. And you can tweet about the podcast using the hashtag water values. And please do me a favor. As I asked at the top of the show, please rate and review the podcast on Apple podcast, Stitcher, tune in, whatever other podcast directory you're listening on. I would really appreciate it. I know we get a, we pick up a couple in between each episode. So thank you very much. And I really love the reviews that you, that you all give to the podcast. So thank you again. Um, you can sign up for the Water Values newsletter also at thewatervalues.com. And if you want to support the podcast financially, uh, you know, it, it's not an insignificant cost to put this thing on. Uh, so you can look, go to the website, thewatervalues.com, scroll down a little bit. There's a PayPal button. Any denomination is greatly appreciated. Thank you so much. In closing, please remember to keep the core message of the Water Values podcast in mind as you go about your daily business. Water is our most valuable resource, so please join me by going out into the world and acting like it. to the Water Values Podcast. Thank you for spending some of your day with my dad and me. Well, thank you for tuning in to the disclaimer. I'm a lawyer licensed in Indiana and Colorado, and nothing in this podcast should be taken as providing legal advice or as establishing an attorney-client relationship with you or with anyone else. Additionally, nothing in this podcast should be considered a solicitation for professional employment. I'm just a lawyer that finds water issues interesting and that believes greater public education is needed about water issues. And that includes enhancing my own education about water issues because no one knows everything about water.